Well, guess what? That segues perfectly into what we're doing. So take your bulletin, open it up. If you've got your U version, pull that up. If you're on our website, you can go to the sermon part. And uh, we are in the third part of our boomerang series. Because guess what? Everything is from him and to him and for him. God is the originator of this thing. And so as we look at, at worship, we're seeing that how it's, how this worship has this, this cyclical thing to it. That it started with God and it comes back to God. And that's what we looked at on week one. Last week we talked about how that it's from us. We do. A praise comes from us. And it's not just about God receiving our praise, but it's also for us. Does anybody already feel built up this morning besides me? Anybody else could go, okay, this guy can shut up and we can walk out of here because we've had church. I could do it. I could shut up and walk out of here. We've had church. Because that's, that's something that happens when we corporately worship together. It's, it's powerful. It's for us. It builds us up. It connects us. It's, it's powerful. <clears throat> worship at its core is about our recognition that God is the source of life and worthy. God is worthy of our thanks, of our praise, and of our devotion. That's what a life of worship is representative of. See, 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, but <clears throat> you are a chosen people. God chose you. That ought to be enough to just be thankful for all by itself, to give praise that God chose us. You're chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. And this, not, this isn't even the Amplified version. This is Peter's version. It reads like the Amplified. <laughs> but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. That is what we're here today. We stepped from death to life. And we're so grateful for that. We're so thankful for that. That we give God our praise, our devotion, our whole lives, our thanks. But we have to be aware of this. That there is this truth that's there, this underlying thing. That, <clears throat> that God is not the only thing in this world that's vying for our praise. It's not the only thing vying for our hearts. The enemy wants us, honestly, the enemy, the enemy wants us to worship anything but God. Anything. He doesn't even have to have it for himself. He wants you to put in the place of God anything, anything but God. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what it is. It can be, it can be whatever. In fact, we're about to look at the enemy trying to derail Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry we see the first thing because jesus gets gets baptized the holy spirit comes upon him and he immediately goes into the wilderness and he fasts and he spends time with god for 40 days and at the end of it the bible says he was hungry he was a man it wasn't like he wasn't hungry he was hungry and so that he had a physical need and the enemy wanted him to quit his devotion Quit giving his thanks, quit giving his praise to God and to begin to divert his, his reliance into a new place. He honestly, at that point, he wanted him to worship and put at his pinnacle of his life his own personal needs. And I think that's the easiest place for us to dethrone God and put our own personal needs in that spot. God, I, I appreciate you. You're pretty cool. I'm not going to kick you out of my life completely. But you know what? 
I've got my needs. I've got my needs to, 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 for, to fill my belly. I've got my needs for my own desires. I've got my needs for these other things. And Jesus got attacked here too. Matthew 4, <clears throat> verse 2 says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus replies, Jesus replies, <clears throat> man does not live on bread alone. You know what he said? He didn't say that bread doesn't matter. God's not wanting you to say that your needs don't matter. That's not what he's saying. It's that, that us meeting our needs, that's not the source. That's not what we live on. This is what we live on, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knew that his needs were important. He knew his needs needed to be met, but not at the cost of pushing God off his throne, putting his needs, personal needs there, and pursuing those, and say, God, I've been out here fasting 40 days, and nothing has shown up. Maybe this turning stones to bread is a pretty good idea. You've not brought anything so far. I'm hungry. Maybe so. I tell you what, over and over again in my life, and, and as us, Cutie and I, pursuing the call that God's placed on our lives, this little thing has come up over and over and over again of us just desiring to meet our needs. It came down to <clears throat> whether or not Cutie was going to pursue, uh, was going to uh, pursue the school of ministry and pursue ministry training and all that kind of stuff. And all we knew is that God asked her to do that. That's all we knew. We, in our hearts, we knew that God had asked her to do that. And her, her, she was pregnant with Keenan at the time, and, and, and her job was in the way. And we, we had to sit there. We had to choose that. God was our provider. All of a sudden, our known source of income was gone. Now, do I tell you to, to throw caution to the wind and just quit your job? No, we were pursuing God, and we had to stay true to that. There was another place we saw God being faithful in our lives for, for years as I was finishing up college. And right as I was finishing up college, right as I was done, got my bachelor's degree. Pastor John Holler, who is, is my pastor, and y'all have heard him speak, he was going off to Austin to plant a church. And all of a sudden, a guy from that area <coughs> approaches me with a job, a nice job, with AT&T, going to be making some decent money, a lot of upward stuff in the Austin area. Totally made sense. I could move my family there. We could be supportive. I could be <coughs> involved in the ministry. I talked to Pastor John, and he reminded me of this just a, about a month ago. He said, you told me when you came to me that God called you to pastor. And that's not a step in that direction. And, and I knew in my heart that that wasn't. I was grasping at, at, <coughs> at the money. I was grasping at those different things. And when I quieted myself, I said, no, enemy, no. Even for us to come to this point where for Celebration Church to begin, we're at that place where finally there was some breakover and we'd had some investments and some real estate and things were beginning to turn. And God says, all right, now I want you to sell it all. And I want you to go and trust me and live in this RV and travel and let me grow in you what I'm calling you to do. My provision, my, or God, over and over again. It's come up. It's, I guarantee it won't be the last time. It's not three strikes and the devil's out. He'll keep throwing that ball over and over and over again. We have to continue to choose. It's God and it's God alone. 
He also wants to wrap us up in another place. Maybe we can sit there and, and not get so wrapped up in our needs, but then he wants to, to get us a, nail us a little bit closer to home. And a lot of times he wants us to get in a place where we worship our identity. We worship, this is who I am. God, you're, you're asking me to do this? That doesn't fit with me. That doesn't fit with my persona. That doesn't fit with who I identify myself with. Man, I tell you what, that was one of big struggle with me. Now, I didn't not had like a, in my life, had a big place where, where I was like some sort of icon or anything. But, and so I didn't have anything to give up on that front, but I had a core group of friends whenever I was in high school. Going into my senior year, man, we were just tight. We were tight. And God <clears throat> was moving on my heart to go in a direction. And it wasn't, he didn't say, ditch your friends. But I was intelligent enough to know that to, for me to say yes to him was to say no to them. That they wouldn't automatically go, oh, you're going to be into this Jesus thing, we're done with you. But that there would be this drift. That they would go this way, and I would go this way. And to say yes at this juncture maybe meant that we could walk together and I could glance over and we could see each other for a little bit. But one day, the chasm was, the distance was going to, our lives were just going to go in a different way. And that was a, my identity was wrapped up in my friends. And I was like, God, I can't do this. And finally, as I'm sharing with this, one of my friends tells me, Brandon, if, if God's moving on you, that you have to do this. You have to do this. Even if it costs our friendship. And he didn't want that. But he wasn't going to go that direction. He wasn't going with me and he knew it. See, Matthew 4 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and, he's <clears throat> and uh, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. If you're the son, notice that his identity is, is attacked every place through here. If you're the son of God in the first one, if you're the son of God here, throw yourself down for he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so you will not... Strike your foot against the stone. I've got my own scripture here, Jesus. You use the scripture. I'm going to get a scripture. If you're really all that, here's the little scripture that says that. Here's your, this is your identity. Prove it. You're the son of God. Prove it. Chunk yourself off of here. Show me what you got. And Jesus was not going to be suckered into it. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm staying true to my Papa God, I'm staying true to Him. I'm going to worship Him only. I'm not going to care if somebody questions my identity. I'm not going to care on these different things. My needs will be met. I am who I am in my Father, and that's the only identity that matters, and He stays true. And then finally, the devil just quits his little masquerade and pulls out the big guns and wants him to just absolutely just worship Him. Just quit. The big bribe. It's all done. I'm going to give it to you all. <clears throat> Matthew 4, 8. Says, and again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me. Nat so brilliantly talked last week about this very scripture and that it wasn't that the enemy didn't have it to give. Or Jesus would have challenged him on that front. Adam had abdicated Adam had been given authority and dominion of this world Adam and his sin had given it back over to the enemy it was there Jesus just didn't buckle Jesus knew where this was going it was all going to be his one day anyways 
And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. He got his needs met when he stayed true there. See, we're the same way. We're the same way. Our needs on every front are met when we are giving our worship, our prayer and our praise to God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Have no cares, but in everything with prayer and praise, put your request before God. And the peace of God, which is deeper than all knowledge, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we, as the enemy is attacking our minds, as the enemy is attacking us on these different fronts to try to get us to divert and take this that, that is due God. He's worthy of it. He's the one that is worthy of our praise, of our devotion, of our thanks, of all of these different things. Then if we will come back to that place and just keep giving it to him, that in itself guards us. That in itself guards our minds. It keeps our hearts and our minds. You see, the truth is, folks, that you and I, we all worship something. We all do. And eventually we become like that, that which we worship. The scripture promises that in <clears throat> Psalms 115. Psalm 15 verses 1 through 8 says, Not to us, O Lord, but <clears throat> not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness. Why? Do the nations say, where is their God? Talking about Israel. Our God is in heaven. Here there is. It's not that they just said they're in the God. Oh, oh they, where is theirs? Ours is this is about our God. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes but they cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear. Noses but they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. And feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them, these false gods, who bring this false thing into existence, begin to give themselves to that. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. All of a sudden it begins to change. It begins to alter us. I've shared with you all before that I got the blessing of receiving my dream car for my first car. Fully restored 1967 Mustang. Sweet styled steel wheels. Dual exhaust. Glass packs. Board 30 over. Sweet. Awesome car. The thing was, is that it became, it became my idol, like major quick, major quick. Most of y'all that know me at all would not even remotely think of me punching somebody or being like physical and other. I, I'm just not wired that way. I'm just not like a beat people up kind of guy. And, uh, but as I began to, to, to value and to worship this cold, uncaring thing, this, this entity, all of a sudden, I began to find myself that way. I was sitting there, and my buddies one day were, were messing around, and they put a little paint chip in my, in my doors. I, they swung it too wide. The Mustang doors are entirely too long, man. They're huge. They swung out and hit the car next to it and put a little chip in it. And without thinking, I just reached over and just, bam, punched my buddy. Just shocked him. I put him and the, both of the two guys in the back seat like little kids. Like, both of y'all are sitting in the back. They both just sat there quiet. Not because they were afraid of me, because they were stunned. Clark just decked him. The world's coming to an end. What's going on? 
And then just like a couple of weeks later, another friend of mine, they, everybody knew I just took my car way too serious. And so a buddy of mine puts a chicken nugget, a chicken nugget on my car, on the, on the paint. Bad idea. I see him do it through the, through the window of the restaurant. I go out running out there screaming, saying naughty words. I get in my car, chase him down in the school parking lot, find him. And jack him up against the lockers. And I'm screaming at this guy. He's a friend of mine. It was a joke. It was a chicken nugget. And I went crazy. It's just stupid. We're not wired that way, folks. We want to be connected with the one true God who's loving and merciful and awesome. As we worship him, his attributes begin to take over our lives. We will find over and over again, if we worship anything else, folks, we'll find that is empty and it is hollow. And you know what? It's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. We can change. We can be new people. I love this scene we're about to see from the movie Cars. When you go from, from going after something that's empty and worthless to doing of something of real value. Lightning McQueen is going to win the best income. Come on. You've got it. You've got it, stickers. Doc? What are you doing, kid? I think the king should finish his last race. He just gave up the piston cut. You know that? Ah, this grumpy old race car I know once told me something. Pushing on the last lap legal? Hey, man, he's not really pushing him. He's just giving him a little bump grab. Hey, what? What's going on? Well, I racing right there. <laughs> well, that was sudden. <laughs> it's over. Uh, <laughs> It's just like that movie clip. We've got to be careful, you know, that what we're pursuing is the real thing. And that's really what this is all about. This is what this is all about. We're, we want to be careful. We want to make sure that we're pursuing the real thing. And you know what? Sometimes without even realizing it, we can be pursuing the wrong thing and think it's the right thing. And we can misplace our affection. Now, the bad things in life, I'm not going to say they're easy to avoid, but they're fairly obvious, aren't they? I mean... We know we should avoid things like lust and envy and greed. And these are these big flashing lights of, you know, drug addiction and things like that. that we know. I don't really need to sit here and spend a lot of time telling you guys you shouldn't do that. Everyone knows. But you know what? Sometimes what starts out as a noble pursuit can begin to take over our lives. And we misplace our affection in something that has no, um, has no meaning in it. Um, 
We've got a lot to go through, so let me just dig in real quick and give you the first point. The thing is, we can't allow the vehicle of our worship to become the object of our worship. And what do I mean by that? What I, what I mean is this. The, the vehicle, the, the mode, the way that we go about it sometimes has been elevated in our lives. In the church world especially, I see this a lot, where we get so wrapped up around the how, we get so wrapped up around the when, that we totally neglect the who. We completely put Jesus on the back burner and we focus all of our attention on how things get done. Let's look at what happens in the book of John, chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. And this is, you know, Jesus has been having a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman, scandalous in and of itself. But he's been having this conversation with this woman near a well. And she gets to the end of this thing and she says this, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount uh, that place? Why do they do that? It couldn't just be Mount G. Mount Gerizim. <laughs> anyway, where our ancestors worship. And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it, no longer, when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And he goes on to say that this time has come where we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. But this woman was way more concerned with where she should worship rather than who she should worship or why she should worship for that matter. The method and the venue and the process had all become the real issue more than the worship. And Jesus tells her that the time has come to put all that stuff aside. We're not, enough. We're done with this. We're not going to squabble over where we worship, whether it's Jerusalem or that other unpronounceable place. We're not going to worry about whether it's in a, in a steeple with cathedrals and, 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 and stained glass or a movie theater. It's time to put it aside. Enough is enough is enough. These kinds of arguments, you guys, have split the church for centuries. I've watched it in my own lifetime. I've raised in the church. I've seen the kinds of meaningless squabbles we have over how we're going to take communion and how we're going to baptize and how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. So much to the point where we completely put Jesus out of the picture. And we're now so focused on whether I'm going to sprinkle or dunk or splash that I don't really care that the symbolism, the meaning behind the baptism is what's important. Are we going to you know, take our communion and rip and dip? Are we going to have two things? Any of that stuff that if you've been through any more than one church, you've seen the styles of things and styles of ways to do things. And that it just doesn't matter, you know. And even in the area of, let's say, for example, excellence, we can begin to worship at the altar of excellence. I'll tell on myself a little bit. And as a worship pastor, I have struggled with this my whole life, my whole adult life especially. I want excellence in everything that I do. I want you all to come in on Sunday morning and I want the music to be good. I want you all to be transformed, trans, whatever, trans something into the presence of Jesus. And there are times in my life when I have been way more concerned with the quality of the music and way more concerned with the quality of the musicianship and all the other stuff and the style of music. And I found myself serving something that wasn't Jesus. Found myself serving a mode or a method versus the one true God. It's crazy. We have to be careful and keep these things into perspective. The, the mode, the vehicle cannot become the object. The poor Pharisees just get their tails kicked all through the scriptures. And Jesus kind of puts them up as the poster children for how to get it wrong over and over. Matter of fact, Matthew 23 is pretty much just, it's just a tail kicking of the Pharisees up and down. It's so, it's, Jesus saves his harshest words for these poor schmucks. All right, but... Look at what he says about them in Matthew 23, 5 through 7. I can use that word. It's Yiddish, and we're talking about Pharisees, so it's okay. Schmucks. 
You wait. <laughs> All right. Look what he says about it. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they, wait, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with, long, with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues, and they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Once again, we see people way more concerned with outward appearances. We see people way more concerned with doing the thing rather than that thing having any meaning. Um, they, they go through the place, they pray out loud, they say the right words, they give all their tithes and their offerings, they do all these things. And Jesus at some point tells them, hey, but you're dead inside. You're this whitewashed tomb. You're this, this empty shell of bones. And there's no life in you. Guys, we don't want to be that. This church was not designed to be that. The body of Christ was not designed to be a place where people get to go check the box off and say, we did this thing and now we get to go live our lives as though nothing else matters. If it does not transform you, then we haven't met the real Jesus. Jesus has got to come into our lives and change the way we do things. Once again, we see that these people, they told a lie, these Pharisees, didn't they? It goes on, this scripture goes on to talk about how they love to put all these rules on people. They love to weigh them down with stuff. And then they don't even bother to help them when they do that. So they put all this stuff on them. And they make everything really, really complicated. And then they walk away and go, hey, have fun with that. Enjoy carrying that around. They don't even stick around long enough to tell them how to navigate through their complicated world. They just take some kind of weird pleasure in making life difficult for them. So they sold this lie. They told it over and over. They began to even believe their own lie, which is why our next point is this, that our worship must be completely honest. It's got to be completely honest. Look at uh, John fourteen twenty three through 24, the continuation of the conversation with the woman at the well. And he says... It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for. Those who are simple and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. And those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, and their true selves in adoration. We have a problem as a church, as a people. We really have a problem with honesty, don't we? I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing. We, I talk to men over and over, men especially, we have a problem with, and I don't mean being dishonest in the way we normally think of it, but I mean being honest with ourselves, being honest when we come before God, being honest in our dealings with people about who we are and what we struggle with. So much of what the enemy attacks us with is stuff that we want to keep secret, stuff we want to keep hidden because it's just, we don't think people will understand. And then I get this idea that somehow I'm the only one who deals with these issues and, and the enemy has then won a battle and isolating me somewhat. We've got to be honest when we come before God. Look at Luke 18, 10 through 14. More of this religious spirit going on. It says, two men went up into the temple to pray. And this is Jesus talking. And one was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, man, the Pharisees can't even get a break next to tax collectors. That's messed up. Y'all know how bad tax collectors were? Every time Jesus talked about sinners, he then added tax collectors. It was sinners and tax collectors. Like there were sinners, and then there were these guys. So the Pharisees can't even catch a break against these guys, all right? Poor guys. I feel so bad for them. They try so hard. They're so earnest. But the Pharisees, standing by himself, did this. They did it to themselves. Look how he prays. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. Seriously? That's your prayer? Thank you, God, not for making me awesome. Thank you not that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you not because, but thank you, I'm just not as bad as that guy. 
Because as long as I got someone else behind me, I'm all right. And I can point to that one and go, well, at least I didn't do that. I'm not an axe murderer. Whew, we're good, right? At least I do. And then he goes on to even, and he's talking to God like, he, like God doesn't know. I fast twice a week. Did you know that, Lord? I give tithes of everything I get. But the collector, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man who went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, let's be, let's be real for a second. God already knows. He already knows. Who are we trying to kid? Who are we fooling? And we stand and we put on this pretense. We put on this, this image of who we aren't really. And we stand before God. We're not trying to impress God. We're trying to impress others. Or worse than that, I'm trying to deceive myself. The worst person you can deceive is you. The second you become dishonest with yourself, I tell you what, you begin that process of shutting God out of your life. You begin that process of, of deafening your ears to the things that he would tell you. And you know what the worst part is? The worst part is this. The lie that we're preoccupied with telling ourselves isn't anywhere near as good as the truth Jesus is trying to tell you. It's nowhere near as good. The Bible's full of good stuff about you, man. You are the head and not the tail above only, not believe the lender, not the borrower. The, God, the Bible says that no weapon formed against you will prosper. It goes on and on and on. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people. I could go on and on. And we're busy trying to tell lies about ourselves that don't even come close to the truth that Jesus wants to tell you. Why? Why? Because it's easier sometimes. It's easier to serve the mode. It's easier to serve the way and ra rather than really open ourselves up to Jesus and say, fine. Listen, this is not about beating yourself on the head and saying, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. You know, we don't buy that, right? The Bible doesn't say that about you. But I tell you what it does say. It does say that we've got to start from a place of this. Without Jesus, I'm nothing. Without Jesus, I'm nothing. With him, oh man, I'm everything. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Man, the Bible is so chock full of good news. The gospel means good news, right? If the gospel you're hearing ain't good news, hmm, you haven't heard the gospel, guys. Jesus called us more than conquerors, called us priests and kings, sons and daughters. But it has to start with our willingness to be honest and stop putting up these pretenses and stop posturing for other people and even for ourselves. And the last thing I'm going to close with is this, is that our worship must be focused entirely on and directed solely to God. Focused entirely on him and directed completely to him. Matthew 16, 24 says it like this. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. You can't worship God and insert something else there both. Just like the psalm said, whatever we worship will become like. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in fame. You cannot serve God in popularity. You cannot serve God in lust and God in greed and God in anything that's antithetical to what God is. We can't do it. And what it begins to do if we're not careful is it begins to tear us apart from the inside out. The Bible uses the term double-minded only two times. And one place is right here in James first chapter Six. I'm starting in the second part of verse six. It says, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, un is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive 
anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. One translation of that verse says an unstable man, or I'm sorry, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I, I am of the opinion that most of what we call mental illness, most of what we call, gosh, I don't even know what you call, but a lot of the things that we struggle with in the, in the mental realm come from this place of being divided, of having one foot in the world and one foot out of the world, and we got the world tugging us one way and Jesus tugging the other way, and we begin to just tear us apart. Why would God be so adamantly against us being double-minded? Why would he tell us over and over that we've got to have our feet on one side and not the other? It's a dangerous place to be. We've got to make sure that we are totally, completely focused on God. And I'll tell you what, my, my youth in here, okay, y'all have heard me say this before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with the other guys. Are y'all kids ready? You cannot prioritize God. You know, there, there are lots of people out there who will tell you that we just got to, you got to put Jesus number one. We got to prioritize him. The second we start putting him in, in a place where we can even categorize him, we've missed the point. Jesus is in a place all by himself. We started this series by saying that we recognize that he's the source of life, that he's worthy of our praise, our devotion. There's nothing else, guys. It's not Jesus and then this and then this and then this and then this. It's not Jesus and then my car and my job and my family and my wife. It's not Jesus. And, no, I'll serve, those, I'll serve my family. I won't worship them. I will never put something above Christ. And guys, we've got to be at that place right now where we're saying, I'm not going to prioritize Jesus. I'm not going to put him number one on my list of top five. I'm not going to friend him and follow him on Facebook. No, no. I've got to separate him out completely and say, this is Jesus and this is everything else. Because I tell you what, it's the wellspring of life. Everything else will come out of this relationship with Christ. My relationship with my family is going to leak out of how this relationship with Jesus is working. My relationship with my coworkers, with my friends, with the people I'm trying to win to Christ. It's going to come out of this place where I genuinely acknowledge that Jesus isn't one of my top five pursuits. That quite frankly, he's the only thing that's worth my time. And everything else is a gift that he gives me. Everything else comes as a result of that relationship. Amen? So worship at its core, man, we are created to know God. We're created for it. God made us to know him, and truly knowing his goodness and love will produce a response of worship in us, and that's what we're looking for. We're not trying to put the cart before the horse. Let's worship him so that this. No, I tell you what, out of a recognition of who God is, out of a, a sense of gratitude, and th- we just came out of Thanksgiving, you guys. If that whole thing of you examining, I don't know if you guys did this or not, but I sure did. I sat around and thought about all the ways that I'm blessed. I did. I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed man. I have four healthy kids. I got a great wife. I got a good job. Life is good. There are challenges, yes, but if I, if I really sit there and honestly look at what I've got going on, I have no choice but to thank God for the things I have. And no matter where you sit in this place right now, you can find something to be thankful for. You can, there, I, I know you're facing challenges. I know for a fact some of y'all are facing some hardships. I know. But I tell you what else I know, that my Jesus is alive. Amen? That my Jesus already made a way where there seemed to be no way. And that recognition that he's the source of all that stuff produces in me an attitude that says, I want to worship you, God. No matter what. No matter what my my physical challenges are. No matter what the things I can see tell me. I know what my heart says. And I know what Jesus speaks to me and says, listen, I've got this covered. And I can praise him and I can thank him no matter what. This morning, we just want to take a few seconds, okay? And if you're in a place today where you can't honestly say 
that you have that in your life. Can I tell you right now, there is no substitute. And I don't know how people do it, to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know how you go through this world and not have that anchor. I don't know how you go through this world and not have that quiet peace that comes from knowing that the God of the universe loves you. But I want to create a moment here where we give an opportunity. If y'all would just close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning. If you're here today and you need to take that first step and just say, Jesus, I don't know much, but I know that I love you. I don't know much, but I know that you died for me and I believe. Would you just raise your hand or make eye contact with me or something? Yeah, yes, amen. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Anybody else? We're going to keep going until we're sensed that we're done. This is awesome. Good, good. Believers, would you join with me this morning? And listen, like we talk about all the time, this is, this is not a magic prayer. There are no magical words. This is, when you raised your hand, made eye contact, even if you didn't do either of those things, if you, in your heart and in your spirit, you recognize and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, you've made that decision. All we're doing right now is making a profession. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. So that's what this morning is all about. We're believing in our hearts. We're going to profess. Believers, would you join with us?